This is what we want in church, isn't it? The voices of God's people, the gifts of God's people, released, heard, spoken out over us. Amen. So when you come on a Sunday morning, come expectant. Come with a heart ready to be used by God to bless another, to reach another with your voice, with his voice through your voice to bless the body. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's thank our musicians today. Amen. And really what's been said already this morning is a confirmation of a headline that the Holy Spirit put into my heart for many of you this morning. Confirmation. Just building upon what he wants to say to us. Very simply, the Holy Spirit spoke into my spirit this morning. And this is what he wants you to know. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we'll take that as the title of what we're going to speak about this morning. It's going to be okay. It may not look okay at the moment. You may have concerns about what's going on. You may have concerns about what's ahead, but the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's going to be okay. You can rest as we've already heard. You can be still and wait and know that even when the enemy comes like a flood, the Lord is going to deal with him on your behalf. It's going to be okay. You may have been worried about your health. Maybe worried about your job. You may be worried about decisions, life-altering decisions that your children are making. You may be anxious about your marriage or anxious about getting married, finding a partner in life. The Holy Spirit, over all of these questions and many, many more, wants you to know that it's going to be okay. It's time to start believing God's Word to you. You know, as I was driving in this morning, just coming down Lower Dock Street, the Holy Spirit very gently said to me, now this isn't a a, a criticism or a condemning remark, but he wants to help you. He really does address some areas in your life. Some of you are addicted. Listen to me carefully. You're addicted to bad news. You really are. You are addicted to bad news. Whenever there's bad news, that's what you gravitate to. Whenever there's a word of gossip, you gravitate to it. 
You're addicted to the stuff. You can't help yourself. The Holy Spirit brings light to it. Some of you are just addicted to conspiracy theories. Addicted to what the world would say. Addicted, influenced by a negative environment. Addicted to bad news. He doesn't point that out to condemn you. He doesn't point that out to criticize you or make you feel bad. He wants to open your life again to the truth of God's Word, to the good news. That's what He wants you to be addicted to, His living Word that is settled in the heavens regarding you forever. He doesn't want you to be addicted to the bad. He wants you to be addicted and full of the good Word of God that's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to be okay. That's what He wants you to believe. That's what He wants you to hold in your heart. That's what He wants you to rest in and be assured of, it's going to be okay. It's impossible for things to work against you when God is working for you. It really is. We know that all things work together for good to those that love God who are, and to those who are called according to His purpose. It's impossible for anything to work against the believer when God is working for them. Or well, things might not look good at the moment, but by the time that God has held them in his hands and molded them and manipulated them, you look back on those very things that have, that have been designed to bring you down and you will see after God's finished with them, they will bring you good because that's what he does. It really is. And every, every year at this time, my mind goes back to that first Christmas of when Christ was coming into our world. You talk about a situation that was bad. You talk about a situation that was dark. You talk about a, a hopeless situation to come into. But everything worked out good because why? God was over it all, moving silently behind the scenes, orchestrating and maneuvering every event, working all things together to his given end, to his purpose. The Bible shows us from what we read, details into the beginning moments of when Jesus was to be conceived in Mary's womb. And today, there's two key messages that I want us to focus on that come from the lives of Mary and Joseph. From that very first Christmas to encourage us in our walk with God. To show us that everything will be okay as we trust Him. Even amidst all of the uncertain messages about us. Even amidst living in a very uncertain time. Everything will be okay. Because God is in control. The first message that I want us to think about from this first Christmas that we read about in the Word of God is how God displays His favor in the most unfavorable of places in life. 
This seems to be a hallmark of how God moves on many occasions throughout biblical history. God gives his favor to the unfavored. He really does. It's the story of your life. It's the story of my life. And it's littered throughout biblical history. Think for a moment of how God favored young Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was but a slave in Egypt, the lowest of the low. But the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. And everything that Potiphar had favored because of the presence of God on Joseph's life. And even when everything turned sour, in Joseph's experience, while he was living in Potiphar's house, because Potiphar's wife lied and accused him of raping her, everything turned out right and good in the end. This young man, as a result of her lies, was thrown into prison. And when things couldn't get any worse than what they were, God suddenly turned all of the life events that were negative about him, and he was suddenly clothed and changed, stood before Pharaoh, becoming the second in command by Pharaoh's side, as God used him and God favored him. God favors the unfavored. God moves. God does and achieves his word and his purpose over our lives. He favors our lives in the most unfavorable places of life. Or you can think about Moses. God favored Moses when he was in the backside of the wilderness, forgotten for 40 years. But Jehovah met him by an obscure bush, calling him from the lowest place to giving him the highest call in his life, where he would go into Egypt, set God's people free, over two million of, the, two million of them, lead them through a Red Sea, on through a wilderness for 40 years, and then commission Joshua to take them over into a promised land. God favors the unfavored. He calls them from the lowest places of life into his high purpose. You can think about Gideon. It's all the way through the Word of God. Where did God find him? He was in a hole in the ground, threshing wheat, trying to hide from the Midianites who were ransacking the land. The lowest of the low. The angel of the Lord turns up and announces to Gideon, Gideon, thou man of great valor. Gideon, you warrior of God. And Gideon looks over his shoulder to check out to see if the angel is talking to anybody else, but there's nobody else there. What is happening? God is favoring the unfavored. Gideon replies and responds to the angel, and he says, but I am the least in my family, and my family is the lowest in the nation. 
What does the angel say to him? Go in this your strength, you mighty man of valor. God favors the unfavored. Well, think about David. <laughs> Die, boy. The prophet Samuel turns up at Jesse's house and all of his seven sons are there dressed in their finest and he goes before every single one of them and he firstly goes before Eliab and he says to the Lord, Samuel says to the Lord, is this the Lord's anointed? The Lord says, nope. And he goes through all of the seven sons. Samuel can't work it out. So he questions the Lord. And he questions Jesse. And he says, is there any more? Jesse remembers there's another one. One that's been discarded. One that's been forgotten. One that's the outcast. The one that's never going to amount to anything. The one whose life has no future. The one that's despised and looked down on by the rest of them. He's just the shepherd boy. He's got the vocation that's despised by everyone. He's not going to do anything. Little did they know he'd already killed a bear and a lion. The Lord was with him. And Jesse responded to Samuel by saying, well, th there is another one, but he's out with the sheep. Bring him in. And suddenly, the oil comes out. And it's poured over David's head by the prophet Samuel. And the next new king of Israel is inaugurated in Jesse's house. God was favoring the unfavored. God favors the unfavored. He displays his favor in the most unfavorable of places. He chooses the least, the likeliest, or, or, or the, the least likeliest to bring him glory. And this is what he did when the angel visited Mary in her hometown of Nazareth. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced that she was highly favored by God. Listen to Gabriel's words as he brings his message from God. Luke chapter 21 verses 26 to 35 says this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What was happening here? God was favoring the unfavored. Mary lived in Nazareth when Gabriel came to her. Nazareth, as many of you will already know, had a reputation of nothing good ever coming out of it. It was an unfavorable place. It wasn't the place to be. So for Gabriel to announce to Mary that she was highly favored by God troubled her. It's interesting when you read the narrative here. Mary wasn't troubled by the presence of the angel. The shepherds were. Others were throughout the Bible. The appearance of an angel would trouble and bring fear because of the, the supernatural awesome experience that came into their reality. But Mary wasn't troubled by the presence of the angel. She was troubled by what, the, what, by, by what Gabriel was declaring to her. She was troubled by his greeting because Gabriel was declaring things over Mary's life that she had never entertained or ever heard before. God has a habit of doing this. He declares things that are not as though they are. He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that works within you. He declares things over you and I that sometimes are way, way beyond our experience of life. And sometimes it troubles us. God's promise to Mary was a shock. It was a shocking contradiction to everything that she had ever known, living and growing up in Nazareth. You see, when you live in a place that has an awful reputation of nothing good ever coming out of it, it's not long before you start to think that nothing good can come out of you. Imagine living in a place with a stigma like that. Nothing good to look back on. Nothing, look, no, nothing good to look forward to. No great expectation for the future because nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's the statement that hung over this city, over the community that shaped and molded all of the people that lived there. Nothing good can come from your life. And Mary lived right in the middle 
of all of that noise, that stigma hung over her life. So when Mary heard the words of the angel Gabriel, she was troubled because nobody had ever spoke like that before in Nazareth. She, she had never thought that she could be favored, highly favored by God. It was troubling words, troubling words. You know, sometimes we can feel just like Mary felt. We can be troubled by the words that God declares over our lives, the promises that he speaks into being, because our minds sometimes are shaped by years of living under a negative voice or being in a negative environment just like she grew up under in Nazareth. But God calls us, like he called Mary through the angel, to rejoice over the new words that he wants to speak into our hearts, over the new declarations that he is declaring over your life. He wants you to believe them. He wants you to receive them. And he wants you to rejoice over them. Time had come for Mary to believe a bigger word than the social status that she had been used to. Believe a bigger word to her than the negative environment that had been so confining, limiting, and restricting. Be it done unto me, she says, as she hears this word, be it done unto me according to your word. That was the cry of Mary's heart, and that's all God wanted to hear. In this place of Nazareth where nothing good ever came out of, Christ Jesus was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. It shows us that God loves to display his favor in places that seem so unfavorable and overlooked and considered foolish to our world. The amazing news for all of us is that God still does it today. God turns our negative through his promises into something wonderfully positive. God never turns away from where he finds us. Never. He never rejects us over the places where we've been. Our negative background, our lowly conditions never turn God off. He never turns away. In fact, those very life conditions draw God towards us. And the very things that get God's attention are the very things that the world would despise us for. The Apostle Paul describes the state 
that each one of us was in when God found us. And Paul, in his words, in the book of Ephesians, doesn't dress anything up or try to make it picturesque. He tells us that we were dead in our sins when God found us. Yet this didn't deter God. This didn't turn God off. Paul tells us he rescued us in his love and extended rich mercy towards us. Ephesians 2 verse 4, let me read it to you. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God finds us in an awful condition, dead, out for count, in sins and in trespasses. But he rescues us through his rich mercy and his endless love. And by the end of it all, we're saved, we're redeemed, we have an eternal hope, and we are the very workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. What a transformation. What a wonderful blessing this is. God extending his favor to the unfavored. Extending his goodness to the undeserved, to the most unlikeliest. I remember hearing a, a testimony of a man that was really at a very dark moment in his life. He staggered drunk into a church service, stumbled down the aisle while the visiting preacher was preaching. Then he fell at the front and cried openly in front of the preacher. Preacher! Can Jesus do anything with this life? I have destroyed it. I've lost everything that I own, everything that I love. Can Jesus take this mess of a life, transform it? He slurred it out in his drunken stupor, but meant every word. It was a cry from his heart. The visiting preacher put his arm around the shoulder of the man. And he said, why don't we, why don't we pray together, sir, and find out? Just like Paul said this morning. When Jesus was passing through Jericho. 
a blind man cried out to Jesus because he knew that there was more beyond his blindness and his future was walking by. So he cried out with all of his heart. Jesus stopped, opened his eyes, and he followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. Well, in a similar way, that was, that's what was happening to this man on this particular night. Pastor put his, or the preacher, visiting preacher put his arm around the shoulder of the man. They prayed a simple prayer where he, ha- where he asked Jesus to be his Savior, to be his Savior. Well, time went on. Maybe a year or two passed and visiting preacher came back to the church to preach. And um, after the service, a man walked up to him, finely dressed. And he looked the preacher in the eye. He said, sir, do you remember me? Well-spoken, well-dressed, well-kept. No, I don't, said the preacher. He said, sir, I'm the man that fell in my drunken stupor at the front of this church two years ago when you came here. You put your arm around me. You prayed with me. He said, that night Jesus completely transformed my life. He said, the days after you prayed that prayer, everything just suddenly started to work and come together. He said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I'd love to, I'd love to take you to see my house that Jesus has given me. He said, I had nothing. I was on the street. He said, Jesus has dressed me. Jesus has given me a house. I'd love you to come and see it. Well, the preacher was hanging around a few days in the town. Off he went the next day to see the man's house. The preacher couldn't believe his eyes. I mean, the house that God had given this man just astounded him. The blessing, the abundance. Man opened the door. And his wife and children were there greeting the preacher, thanking and praising God for what God had done. God had restored this man to business, prospered him greatly, and set him free from his his alcoholism. Transformed his life. What is that? That's God's favor resting on the unfavored. That's God taking a man whose life had become like a Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of my life. And suddenly bringing Christ into the center of it and doing something wonderful, exceedingly abundantly, above all that could ever be asked or dreamed for. Now, that's not to say that God will do that with any one of us. Who knows? Our lives are very different, maybe very different to that man's life. But when God's involved in any situation in our lives, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. 
it's going to be okay. It really is. It really is. And this is the message that we see in this first Christmas where Christ came into our world. Listen again to Paul from 1 Corinthians 1.26. Because again, he talks about where Christ found us. He talks about that moment where he came into our lives and chose us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through to verse 31. Paul says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast... Boast only about the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul pictures us taken from being unfavorable to becoming favored by God. This is one of the messages that we see over that first Christmas when Christ was conceived and coming into our world. God visiting a young woman in a place that had an awful reputation and highly favoring her life. The next amazing message that comes to us from this first Christmas is how God gives direction in the midst of distress. Not only does God favor us in the most unlikeliest, in the most unfavorable of places, but God gives direction in the midst of distress. That's why it's going to be okay. Because he speaks, because he guides, because he leads. Think for a moment about the distress that Joseph was thrown into the moment he heard that Mary was pregnant. Joseph was espoused to marry Mary. The wedding ceremony was all set to go. The date was in the calendar. All the preparations had been made. But suddenly everything was thrown into confusion. As God's plan now was breaking into their plans. Have you ever had that happen? God's plan, God's purpose, cutting and railroading through 
your plans and your purposes in life. This is what happened to Joseph. God didn't ask Joseph's permission to borrow Mary's womb for Christ to come into our world. He didn't have a meeting to consult with Joseph. No, his plan just came into being as Mary opened her heart and said, be it done unto me according to your word, and it was done. She didn't even have a meeting with Joseph. She'd had a meeting with God. Sometimes God's plans break into our plans and everything changes and it can cause us distress. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. God doesn't mind us having many plans, many great aspirations about life. But at the end of the day, amidst all of those many plans that we hold in our hearts, it's only God's counsel that prevails in the end. And sometimes all of the plans that we hold in our hearts have to change and have to be adjusted for God's word and God's plans and purpose to prevail. And this was what was happening in Joseph's life. His plans, his future was set out in place. Mary and Joseph had their dreams together as a young couple, but now God was ordering and changing and directing things, and they were going in a different course. And initially it looked as if their future was over. Initially, it looked as if everything was crumbling down in front of Joseph's eyes, causing great distress. And even though Mary must have tried to explain to the man that she loved, to the man that she was espoused to, that the conception was sinless, miraculous, and overshadowed by God, Joseph still, being a righteous man, had to privately put Mary away. He didn't shame her. He could have, according to the law. He could have had her stoned. But this man, being a righteous man, decided to put her away privately until God spoke to him. God's goodness brought direction amidst the distressing moment that Joseph was in. Matthew 1 verse 19 to 21 says this, Joseph to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name 
him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This was divine direction in the midst of great distress. And Joseph listened. Joseph obeyed. The word that he'd received from the angel in the dream that he'd had. God gives direction in the midst of distress. I wonder if you're in a distressing moment today. You could be watching online, beset by distress, not knowing what choice to make. Well, God will bring, dis- God will bring direction in that distressing time. He will. We may, we may have to wait, as we've heard. We may have to rest, slow everything down. Don't act erratically. Don't make impulsive choices. Rest, wait for the direction that God brings into the distress that we feel. King David had many distressing moments in his life. But when his life was at its most distressing, direction came from God. Psalm 119, 105 says this. It's David's testimony. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Why did David refer to God's word as being like a lamp and a light? The simple answer could be because life at times gets very, very dark. And you need a lamp and you need a light to see your way through the distress. But his word will bring illumination. His word will guide you through. His word will be the lamp and the light that you need. It really will. It really will. Finally, today, as we come to a close... You may look at your life, look over your life, and think, well, my life's a bit like that Nazareth scene. That's the noise in your head that's repeated over and over again through the thoughts that you think. Not much good can come out of this. Well, maybe you need to review that kind of thinking and realize, like Mary realized, you're highly favored by God. That nothing is impossible to God. If he can find a cry from your heart that rises to him, that says, be it done according, be it done unto me according to your word, so shall it be. And the most wonderful, wonderful favor of God's miraculous provision can come into that moment 
that situation that seems so unfavored. Or today, you may feel the distress of confusion, the distress of circumstances, the distress of things not going your way or working out. The word to us, as we've heard, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic about your health. Don't be unwise, but don't panic. Don't panic about the uncertain future regarding your work, your career, and your job. Don't panic about the unforeseen decisions that your children are making that are causing you pain and distress. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. Your problems are not your problems because you're God's property. Your problems are not your problems. If we could just get that. Your problems are not your problems because you're God's property. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Your problems are not your problems. You're God's property. And anything that causes you distress, He knows about. And He will bring order and direction in. Can I ask the musicians to come? We're going to sing in a moment it's impossible for anything to work against you when God's working for you reread over these next weeks those first moments when Christ was coming into our world reread it reverse yourself with it and you'll see that all over the story, it's impossible for anything to work against you when God is working for you. So many things worked against Mary and Joseph. So, so many things. And they were such a young couple with dreams in their hearts, with hopes about their future. You talk about crushing events, lining up to destroy a young couple that just wanted to believe God and obey His Word. Talk about the odds being against them. Huge odds being against them. Yet, did God bring them through? Oh, He brought them through. He brought them through. They had to go over a, a few hills and down a few valleys. I tell you what, 
Everything was set against them. But it was okay because God was in charge. It didn't look as if God was in charge. There was chaos, trouble, strife. But this young couple just walked in the rest of God. In the rest of God. And he directed them through all of their distress. It's there in the Word of God as a beacon of hope for us to read, for us to receive, for us to walk out and enjoy. Because we can place our faith in amidst all of the times in which we live, in amidst all of the changing times in which we live, in an unchanging God who's always there for us. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we thank you for your word to us. Lord, you know how the enemy sometimes buffets our mind, how he attacks, how sometimes he uses the voice of others to bring us down and tear into us. But Lord, thank you for your favor on us. You favor the unfavored. And we're chosen by you. Lord, thank you that when we are distressed, as we wait for you, as we rest in knowing that you are going to come, you bring direction into the distressing moments of life to guide us on through and take us towards fulfilling your purpose in our lives. I pray for your people this morning. I pray for your peace, your comfort in this time. Lord, as we remember today your goodness in our lives, your faithfulness to us, I pray that your word, your word, your living word would have preeminence in our hearts, would have preeminence in our minds, that that would govern our thoughts. We'd switch off to all of the bad news around us, and we would switch on to the living word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.